Opening Arguments is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Should we start this deposition, or do you boys just want to hand us a big bag of money? <laughs> big bag of money. I think you guys are making a big mistake. I do mostly tax laws and probate stuff occasionally. I got my law degree at night school. Well, that's fine, Lewis. We got arrested at night. Now, are you going somewhere with this counselor? No, not really. I just wanted to upset the witness, Your Honor. Looks like you did it. I did it, yeah. That is a lucid, intelligent, well-thought-out objection. Thank you, Your Honor. Overruled. Four short weeks ago, I was driving truck. Now I'm sitting on the highest court in the land. Thanks to the George Bush home study course, you two can be a Supreme Court justice. Welcome to Opening Arguments, a podcast that pairs a comedian with a real-life lawyer. This podcast is sponsored by the law offices of P. Andrew Torres, LLC, for entertainment purposes, is not intended as legal advice, and does not form an attorney-client relationship. Don't take legal advice from a podcast. Hello, and welcome to Opening Arguments. This is episode 559. I'm Thomas, and I'm a little more confused than, than normal. I think I'm normally pretty confused by today's segments in the spreadsheet. Can't wait. Uh, how are you doing, Andrew? I am fantastic. So, Andrew, meet? <laughs> Question mark. What? So, on January 3rd, the Biden White House announced its comprehensive plan with respect to the meat industry. Oh. And... I know that doesn't seem super exciting. And the fact that that doesn't seem super exciting is kind of the segment that I wanted to do, right? Which is I, I wanted to talk about the process of making executive branch regulations, right? Promulgating them from the top down, the good and the bad that it can do, and um, how this is one of the crucial day-to-day -day functions of the White House, right? Like one of, one of the things that we've been engaged in a discussion back and forth is the, you know, gridlock uh, being screwed over by Joe Manchin, you know, whether we're ever going to pass legislation again. Spearheading legislation is the most visible thing a president does, but maybe not the most consequential thing. Mm. Right? And so I think it's important for our listeners that we walk through the process of passing, promulgating executive branch regulations. And we note up front, right? Like the the distinction between regulations and and legislations. And and there really are two critically important differences. The first is regulations can be easily overturned by the next administration that yeah. comes in. That's a plus and a minus, right? In fact, uh, you know, Newt Gingrich gave us a tool, the Congressional Review Act, that, that actually makes it easy to attack in multiple ways yeah. prior executive branch uh, regulations. The fact that it's easy to undo, it's slightly harder 
to do, uh, but again, you know, can be done unilaterally. So even when you have, let's hope we do not have a Republican-controlled Congress in 2023, but even when you have, you know, nominal control that's stuck at the whim of, you know, a uh, conservative West Virginia Democrat or an enigmatic, inexplicable Arizona Democrat, you can always pass regulations knowing that those that those are temporary. And then secondly, regulations are bounded by the authority delegated to that agency by Congress. And a good way to think about that of governing via executive branch agencies is the hard and the creative work done in the Obama administration, you know, when we had, you know, sort of an absolute legislative gridlock from Mitch McConnell on that said, yeah, no, we're just not going to let you pass laws. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we saw programs, executive branch programs, that really pushed the boundaries of what was delegated to that agency under Congress. And I'm thinking about- Dreamers. Exactly right. Yeah. When you create a brand new program that feels a little different, right? So, you know, we've always said stereotypical, prototypical definition of exercising executive branch authority is Congress says we're going to ban assault weapons. Assault weapons are defined as these 30 guns plus whatever substantially similar guns that the Secretary of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms may from time to time so designate. Mm -hmm. And you understand the political pluses and minuses of that, right? You understand if you get a Democratic president, probably a lot of guns are going on that list. You get a Republican president, right? AR-15, it's like, you know, anything substantially similar to an AR-15, all of a sudden the AR-15.1 comes out and a Republican secretary of BATF is like, nope, that's totally different. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, it just has a pink spot on the barrel. Well, yeah. That pink spot makes all the difference in the world. You're aware that the political calculations are going to contribute. There's that much play in the joints there. There's no nowhere that Congress or anybody could say, hey, wait a minute. We did want you to ban the AR 15.1 or whatever, as an example. Those fights are sort of at the core of our continuing discussion over Chevron Chevron deference, deference, which is to what extent do we credit the agency themselves with a good faith interpretation of the mandate given to them by Congress? And unsurprisingly, right, the original Chevron decision uh, was about the Reagan era EPA, which interpreted the mandate of remove pollutants from the air as eh, remove, do nothing. It's all up to you. So it certainly is Uh, I I, want to flag for you, it certainly is a gate that swings both ways, right? And so when we're left on the left defending, again, I I believe a Rehnquist decision, right? Like not not a crazy leftist opinion, but an opinion that says, yeah, we, we defer to the executive branch, to the administrative agency's own findings. The reason to do that is the rule that Trump-era judges are setting up is, oh no, nobody gets any deference on everything. Uh, It all comes de novo to the courts who get to decide whether you, executive branch agency, are complying with the judicial instructions. That's definitely not how it should work. I know that much. Of course, (laughs) absolutely. So there is a question that says, can Congress more tightly 
curtail its instructions, right? To say, you have to do X, you have to do Y, you have to do Z. And in my view, that is, uh, if we ever get back into a position where we're writing legislation again, that that's the way in which you push back against agency. Like I would, I would write codicils and, and examples into the law that say like, you know, for example, you should put anything substantially similar on this list. Substantial similarity includes, but is not limited to merely cosmetic changes in composition of the weapon or whatever. So you could put that in there and then you would be left challenging the rulemaking in court that says, look, they didn't follow their own instructions, Mm. right? And that is a lawsuit under the Administrative Procedures Act. Again, significant deference due to the agency, but you can prove that you did not engage in sufficient fact-finding. You can prove that you did not do the work. And in fact, this was the primary success uh, that those of us on the left had in the Trump administration was challenging Trump-era administrative decisions, executive branch decisions under the APA as not following basic procedures, right? Not having a notice and comment period, not doing the bare minimum of fact finding, you know? So that's sort of the balance that we have, at least until this Supreme Court upsets Mm. the apple cart. So what's the meat EO look like? (laughs) (laughs) It begins, this is a specific application of a larger executive order, 14036 that was promulgated last year, July of 2021, which was an executive order on promoting competition in the American economy. And now, you know, you hear promoting competition, that means anything to anyone. Here's what it means to the Biden administration. It means a more robust application of antitrust laws to prevent fields that are being dominated by one or a small group of monopolistic, oligopolistic competitors. So specific fact-finding on on meat. I did not know any of this. I mean, I knew generally it's bad for family farms. Four large meatpacking companies control 85% of the beef market. In poultry, the top four control 54% of the market. And in pork, the top four control 70% of the market. Wow. The meat packers and processors buy from farmers and sell to retailers like grocery stores, making them a key bottleneck in the food supply chain. When dominant middlemen control so much of the supply chain, they can increase their own profits at the expense of both farmers, who make less for actually, you know, raising the animals, and consumers who now pay more for the goods. And that's exactly what's happened in the meat industry. Most farmers now have little or no choice of buyer for their product, so monopsony, and little leverage to negotiate, causing their share of every dollar spent on food to decline. Here's the stats. 50 years ago, ranchers got over 60 cents of every dollar that a consumer spent on beef. That seems to make sense, right? Mm. That's down to 39 cents today. Hog farmers got 40 to 60 cents on the dollar 50 years ago. That's down to 19 cents today. Now, As farmers' share of each dollar has dwindled, American consumers are paying more, with meat and poultry prices now the single largest contributor to the rising cost of food that people consume at home. Mm. So the Biden administration says, too few companies control such a large portion of the market. Our food 
supply chains are susceptible to shocks. When COVID-19 or other disasters such as fires or cyber attacks shutter a plant, many ranchers have no other place to take their animals. Our over-reliance on just a handful of giant processors leaves us all vulnerable with any disruptions at these bottlenecks rippling throughout our food system. So what are they going to do about it? The first, like I said, the groundwork was set through this EO14036. And I want to sidebar for a minute. This is a very, very long executive order. I'm not going to read it or talk about all of it. But did Biden sign it with his dumb signature and then display it to the audience like he's a <laughs> kindergartner with a drawing? As far as I know, Joe Biden has a normal signature. It's not a Sharpie. But how will I know he's doing anything if he doesn't show <laughs> it to the... <laughs> I can't post it on my fridge, Andrew, if he doesn't show it to me like that. Look, we're losing this messaging war. So as much as that's a joke, right? Yeah, actually, the maybe. Number, <laughs> the he number should of, be doing that. Maybe he should be doing yeah. it, right? The number of Democrats who are out there saying Joe Biden accomplished nothing because he didn't pack the pass the Build Back Better Act. Uh, is is a staggering number, and 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 they're just wrong, right? Um, and these are the kinds of things that are not nothing. And you know, you might say, okay, well, you know, if if uh, Trump gets back in office, he's going to undo all of them. He might. Um, sometimes it's hard to undo things, and because people come to rely on them, and sometimes even if it gets undone, it certainly matters for people in the interim. So rescinding the ban on, you know, you have to use the restroom of the gender you were assigned at birth. Yeah, I can't stop people from electing monsters in the future who might put that back into place. But I can make the federal government a better place to work in the interim, right? And that, that matters. This is an example of a thing that matters. So let me talk just parenthetically about some of the things that were in 14036. A call to the FTC to draft rulemaking. That is underway. Uh, The fact-finding has begun to ban or limit non-compete agreements and contracts. That's going to be a hard thing to unwind once that comes out. I know this as a lawyer who drafts contracts for businesses, right? Once that guidance comes out, I will tell my clients, and I I already tell them, uh, and this is not a surprise to me, but I already tell them that, you know, sort of the era of generalized, broad non-competes is probably over, but we'll have specific guidance and lots and lots of people will have their contracts written during the time period in which this is in place. And that is unambiguously, I think it's a good thing for both employers and employees, but it's an unambiguously good thing for employees, right? To not, you know, we saw like this hit kind of rock bottom with, do you remember the big box store that was like, that had its baggers, right? Right, Cashiers sign two-year non-competes that they couldn't work anybody bagging anything. Important, you know, work product techniques there that you can't take to other... (laughs) Grocery yeah. stores, yeah, right, right. I mean, just and all that is is punitive. We because put that's the eggs not... on the bottom, and <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't I know want it all, yeah, little little Ed, Ed the Glick, right? I want it all in one bag, but I don't want the bag to be too heavy. <laughs> but yeah, and it it preys on the worst off because that that is not an enforceable agreement. But you don't know that. Yeah, you're you're less likely. You you know it if you're a lawyer. You know it if you have lawyers in your family. You know who's least likely to be a lawyer or have lawyers in their family? Someone working as a grocery store bagger. It falls disproportionately on those who are not a member of the class that can just call up a lawyer and get advice on it. That's an example in labor. In healthcare and medicine, it directs the FDA to work with states and tribes to safely import prescription drugs from Canada under the Medicare Modernization Act of 2003. 
In transportation, I love this. This EO addresses issues unique to the transportation sector, resulting from the fact that air, rail, and shipping are now dominated by large corporations. So the EO directs the Department of Transportation to consider issuing clear rules requiring the refund of fees when baggage is delayed, when service is not actually provided, i.e. when the plane's Wi-Fi or in-flight entertainment system is not in Mm. service, and directs the DOT to consider issuing rules that require baggage change and cancellation fees to be clearly disclosed to the customer. Maybe middle-class problems, but that certainly would be welcome on my end as somebody who traveled over the Christmas holidays. What about in beef? First, there's more fact-finding. Domestic farmers are being threatened by the import of meat by foreign corporations that use labels that mislead customers about the origin of that meat. Mm. So the EO directs the U.S. Department of Agriculture to issue new rules under the Packers and Stockyards Act that make it easier for farmers to bring and win claims, stopping chicken processors from exploiting and underpaying chicken farmers, and adopting anti-retaliation protections for farmers who speak out against bad practices. Directs the USDA to consider issuing new rules, defining when meat can bear product of USA labels so that consumers have accurate, transparent labels that enables them to choose products that are made here. And directs the USDA to develop a plan to increase opportunities for farmers to access markets and receive a fair return, including supporting alternative food distribution systems like farmers markets and developing standards and labels so that consumers can choose to buy products that treat farmers fairly. So all of that July EO, the American Rescue Plan directs $1 billion to the enforcement for the expansion of independent processing capacity. So one of the things that is a concrete action when you are promulgating rulemaking is the money that Congress actually directs. So there's a, and again, I I know a billion dollars is not a lot by, you know, Washington standards, but that's real money that will really be spent in terms of putting into place systems that are designed to increase the amount of revenues that go to independent farmers and bring down costs to American consumers. So what are they going to use that billion dollars on? There are four specific things that the USDA then promulgated as a result of its fact-finding and the 450 comments that it received in the notice and comment period. One, expand independent processing capacity. So to increase competition, create more options for producers and consumers by jumpstarting independent processing projects that will increase competition and enhance the resiliency of the food supply chain. This is the monopsony problem. That is yeah, in I was going to ask earlier, areas. define yeah. monopsony <laughs> for those of us who <laughs> didn't play that board game. <laughs> so monopsony is when you have few buyers in a supply chain in an, in a vertically mm. integrated supply chain right so typically right monopoly is few sellers of goods and services and the idea is that they can set monopolistic prices particularly where oh. demands are relatively inelastic when you have a chain and you have few buyers they also can set artificially low prices oh yeah we could make this into a board game 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, all the players are already, they occupy all the tiles, and but then only one thing goes around and buys stuff, and so they can lowball everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly okay. right. And that's a situation that plagues farmers right now. We have farmers uh, among our listeners, I, we, we, a yeah. bunch of them. And so if you are selling a particular crop and there is one regional purchaser, uh, right. they get to pretty much dictate what that price is. You can, I, I don't know, try and sell your corn door to door or whatever, but like they're, they're the only purchasers in volume. And so they artificially depress uh, the price at which they buy it. So the first step is uh, to increase independent processors in the food chain. So the new processing capacity will build momentum in a currently concentrated market. For example, 50 beef slaughter plants owned by just a handful of companies currently process nearly all of the cattle in the United States. Jeez. USDA will provide gap financing grants totaling up to $375 million for independent food processing plant projects that fill a demonstrated need for a more diversified processing capacity. So think about that for a minute. What that's saying is, I want to start up a meat processing plant. They will loan money with grants attached to that, so I don't have to pay back all some or all of it, uh, to let me start up that plant in an area that has a demonstrated need for a diversified right. uh, number of sellers. And this is a super win-win because ideally, right, like you're talking about areas where the price to farmers has been artificially low. So let's make this up, right? If the price has been driven down to one penny per ear of corn and you turn around and you know you're able effectively to sell that up the chain for a dollar that's a you know right now all of that profit is being eaten up by four large companies mm -hmm. that control that aspect of the supply chain that's a great kind of environment for an entrepreneur to get involved in to be like hey, I could offer to pay lots more per ear of corn and still make a good profit and still cover the fact that this is a pretty massive capital investment. Oh, and I'm going to get a loan of which I may not have to pay back all of it in order to get into that process. So that's that first component. It also has strengthening the financing systems, working with lenders, right? So not just directly making loans available, but working with lenders to reimburse so that they liberalize their standards, right? Private lending institutions liberalize their standards for getting money out to help bring in competition in areas that have limited buyers in a vertically integrated market. The USDA has deployed $100 million in American Rescue Plan funds to make more than a billion dollars in guaranteed loans available immediately. Applications will be accepted. <laughs> In fact, uh, we could put the link in the show notes for... Uh, yeah, you yeah. want to start a meat processing yeah. plant? Yeah. So, okay, all right. That is that is trying to stop the, the choke points in processing. Prong two, supporting workers and the independent processor industry. So this is building a pipeline of well-trained workers and supporting safe workplaces with fair wages. New and expanded meat and poultry processing facility capacity will create new job opportunities in rural communities. Building a well-trained workforce and ensuring that meat and poultry processing jobs are safe requires dedicated attention and investment. USDA will dedicate $100 million to support development of a well-trained workforce, safe workplaces, and good-paying quality jobs by working closely with partner organizations, including labor unions, with expertise in workforce development and worker health and safety. I could go through some of the specifics, right? 
$32 million in grants to 167 existing meat and poultry processing facilities to help them reach more customers by being federally inspected through the Inspection Readiness Grants Program. But again, notice that this is, just like with legislation, real dollars being allocated to specific purposes, indistinguishable from if this had been passed by Congress. Yeah. So supporting workers is, is prong two. Prong three, strengthen the rules that protect farmers, ranchers, and consumers. So that is following up on that stronger rules under the Packers and Stockyards Act. That law was systematically weakened by the Trump administration, oh, USDA. Wow. Surprise, surprise. Shocker. Yeah. yeah. So the US so the Biden USDA has already begun work on three proposed rules that will provide greater clarity and strengthen enforcement under the act. And issue that product of USA labeling rules. Under current rules, meat can be labeled product of USA if it is only processed here, including when meat is raised overseas and then cut up in the United States as part of the chain. We believe this could make it hard for American consumers to, to know what they're getting. USDA has already begun its top-to-bottom review of current labeling rules and current consumers' understanding of the labels with the goal of new rulemaking to clarify product of USA standards. And then finally, increasing transparency in cattle markets so that ranchers can get a fair price for their work. So USDA is using its existing authorities to increase transparency to the extent possible. Right now, meat packers have outsized power in setting the prices for beef. The dominance of opaque contracts, right, contracts that are not publicly disclosed, and insufficient competition undermine price discovery and fairness in independent livestock markets, which ultimately lock producers into prices that aren't the product of free and fair negotiation. So starting in August, the USDA began issuing new market reports on what beef processors pay to provide additional insight into the formula cattle trades and help promote fair and competitive markets. I want to break that down a little bit so that, that we're clear on this. When you have limited numbers of buyers and when they keep the terms of the contract secret, you don't know what your product mm. is worth. By publicizing that information, that helps drive that sort of competitive race to the top and at least gives farmers additional information about, oh, hey, here's the fair market value of a head of cattle. Things that are very hard to develop under the existing, uh, under the existing framework. So that's meat. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that's meat. We've covered it. All I can uh, think about during when you're describing this is, A, Several things. A, yes, once again, uh, among the billion reasons to make sure to vote Democrats into office, regardless of whether or not, you know, the the big major things are getting ruined by a couple a-holes in Congress, it's still very important, and we all need to keep that in mind. And B, how complex all this is and how Democrats have to be, like, that much more competent than the right, because... Republicans get in there and there are some competent evil people. Uh, you know, we've seen them. They're the they're the most threatening. But for the most part, it's like, OK, Democrats get in there, utilize your, you know, elbow grease and know how and ingenuity to find ways to deliver good things to the citizens. Work your asses off to find ways to deliver good results to citizens that, by the way, who don't appreciate you and, you know, won't notice any of this unless they listen to our show and that kind of thing and find all these intricate systems to set up. And then the right is like, ah, just kill that. Just get, they just get to go in and just be like, erase, erase, delete. It's so much easier. You know, like they, they have such an advantage to be able to just go in there and be like, eh, that's crap. Get rid of that. Get rid of that. It's, it's one simple step, you know? Yeah. I think it really helps 
put meat on the bones. I mean, when we say things like it's easier to knock down the the house of cards than build it. Yeah. Like that's true, but hopefully kind of going through this process and, and, you know, I, I made some references, but like, you can't you can come in as the president and issue an executive order like Joe Biden did on day one that says, I hereby rescind these hundred executive orders that the last guy did, right? And you can put that together in November and December while you're preparing your transition team. When it comes to rulemaking, when it comes to top-down directives from an executive branch department, there are those rules that you have to follow, right, to be consistent with the congressional delegation of authority. And you have to conduct fact-finding. You have to have a public notice and comment period. You have to respond to those public comments, right? And so, and and all of those things, yeah, they're things that the last guy did not do very well. <laughs> um, they're things that, that were better than, but, but it illustrates, you know, and underscores your point of, this is what we mean by it's harder to to build than yeah. destroy. Yeah. And I guess the maybe the positive, I don't know if it's a positive message, but it might be positive to think there may be good reasons why it just seems like it's such an uphill battle for Democrats. And I think often people want to go to the knee-jerk thing of like, well, it must be corruption. It must be, you know, they're, they're just crappy leaders. They're not, they don't really be. It's, I think it's also true that it's just more difficult to build things than to knock them down. And so we're at a structural disadvantage. So as much as we're all like, oh, if only we could have it as easy as the Republicans in terms of lining up behind the candidates and accomplishing all these things. Yeah, but it's the things they want to do are easier to do than the things we want to do. Yeah, I agree 100%. Opening Arguments is brought to you by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store, or by the way, orders from the grocery store with the delivery fees and all that. And count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit. Lydia and I have been using HelloFresh for a long time. We could not live without it because uh, we're a little maxed out these days. What with the two people working with the two kids and all the craziness going on week in, week out. It is just nice. I'll tell you, it is so nice to have one thing you don't have to think about. When you sign on with HelloFresh, they deliver pre-portioned ingredients to your door and they cut back on that time spent in the kitchen and the time spent worrying about groceries and the time spent ordering the groceries and did we order them and ah, what's in that order? Did we get the right stuff? Forget all that. Sign on with HelloFresh and it simplifies all of it. And it's 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal of the same quality. And you can save on average over $65 per month when you order HelloFresh instead of grocery shopping. That's more money to put toward those other 2022 goals of yours. I'm telling you, if you're a New Year's resolution person, HelloFresh ticks a lot of boxes. Might help you eat healthier. I know that's something I'm trying to do this year in general. It might help you save money. It could let you learn to cook. I love that too. It has the uh, cards that give you the instructions. They're super easy, but also makes you feel like you can do something in the kitchen, you know, even if you have no experience. I love HelloFresh. I really think you should check it out if you haven't already. So go to HelloFresh.com slash opening 16 and use code opening 16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash opening 16 and use that code opening 16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit for a reason. 
this show is brought to you by X Chair. I love the work I do. It is amazing being able to podcast for a living and edit podcasts for a living. But sometimes I dread sitting down at my desk, or at least I used to before I got my X Chair. It's true, I spend a ton of time in my desk, a ton of time in my chair, and it matters what kind of chair you have. And now, thanks to my X Chair, I actually look forward to sitting here in the studio because my body feels so much more supported and comfortable. And more comfort means more productivity, helping my X Chair pay for itself thanks to how much more work I get done every day. And if I'm feeling tight or stressed, I just turn on the LMAX massage feature and choose from four different massage options. If the room is running too hot or cold for you, you can just flip on the LMAX temperature regulation and either heat or cool your lower back. That's amazing. In California, it's mostly gonna be that cooling option. It's most of the year is that. Couple months, maybe, max, on the heat option. But uh, I know that's not true everywhere. You might want that heat option, so get your hands on it. And once you feel the customized support of X-Chair's patented Dynamic Variable Lumbar, or DVL, your back will never be happy in another chair again. Take my advice. Try X-Chair for yourself, risk-free, for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you'll never go back, I promise. So go to xchairoa.com now. That's the letter X, chair, oa.com, or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. XChairOA.com. Do it by yourself. Okay. Well, I think I'll try it in a different key. I'll try it in the normal key. And if, it, if it sounds bad, these people are just gonna have to wait. We'll do it. Over. <laughs> Let's talk about the Nirvana lawsuit. I'm curious. I saw <laughs> the headlines that this was dismissed, and I thought this was such a silly lawsuit. I mean, we covered it. I thought it was such a silly lawsuit that this wouldn't merit show coverage. But I see here's a why it's mark getting here. yeah yeah here's why it's getting show coverage because uh, yeah yes this is a frivolous lawsuit we're going to talk about that but it's now being reported as being dismissed and that's misleading this lawsuit mm. is coming back oh okay. and I'm going to explain why and how and in the event that it that it survives the next motion to uh-huh. dismiss which I'm not sure that it will we'll get Morgan Stringer oh, on I it love for a pop law <laughs> when the media reports things terribly and we get to go fix it <laughs> yep that's what we're doing so what's the lawsuit i think we made a joke about it because of my hatred of nirvana um but last year in august of 2021 a guy named Spencer Eldon sued Nirvana. He sued Nirvana, David Geffen, Geffen Records, Warner Brothers, MCA Music, Kirk Weddle, put a pin in that, he's a photographer, Kurt Cobain, Courtney Love as the executor of Cobain's estate, Chris Novoselic, Chad Channing, David Grohl, Dave Grohl, I should say, I, even I know who Dave Grohl is, and <laughs> Robert Fisher, the band Nirvana. Why? Spencer Eldon is the little baby on the Nevermind cover underwater chasing after the dollar bill and he was paid for his mom i mean he was he was a four-month-old i thought it was his dad you are correct it says brought by their parents his father sat down for the interview with entertainment weekly what happened in 1991 the band nirvana was looking for photographs of babies in a swimming pool and bunch of parents brought their children down threw them in the pool took pictures, and Eldon uh, was the baby that was chosen. The little fish hook with the dollar bill was added in later. Was paid a couple hundred bucks for the photograph, which is typical. Watched as 
the Nevermind album inexplicably sold 30 million copies, became world, uh, you know, one of those things that is, I mean, like, I know the album cover, right? Like, it is just instantly, iconically understandable, apprehendable. And if you're reading between the lines, and in fact, not reading between the lines, if you're looking at the demand for the the, uh, ad damnum clause, the demand for money in Spencer's lawsuit here. Seems not fair that Nirvana got super popular using his image uh, and he didn't get any of that sweet, sweet Nirvana money. I think that is actually how it works and it's fine. (laughs) What do you mean? A baby is interchangeable. It wasn't the baby that that earned all the money. It was the music that was on the out. Like everybody who had a hand in designing some small part of an album doesn't necessarily get a percentage of the royalties. You know, I mean, there's certain elements of work that are interchangeable and you, if the dad of the baby was like, all right, I want 10% of all albums. They'd just be like, okay, just find a different baby. Like we're not, <laughs> why would we possibly do that? Or, or they might, right? Like it, so I, I a hundred percent agree with you. This is called the works made for hire doctrine. And what it provides is you will often hear creative content providers complain about folks who say, oh yeah, well, we're just starting out. We can't afford to pay you, but you know, we'll give you exposure for your stuff. And people will laugh and say, no, no, man, like I'm a professional. Pay me for the work that I do. Yeah. And this is the flip side of that. No, that's not that. This is just the discussion between getting a flat fee versus a person. Yeah. Like well, that's what I'm saying is, of, is d- nowhere in the conversation was the baby should have done it for exposure. I'm just clarifying. No. <laughs> that would be particularly amusing given yeah, the allegations exactly. of this lawsuit. Uh, but no, what I mean is that Nirvana at the time totally could have said, we're not going to pay you for the photograph. We are going to give you future proceeds, right? And, you know, for Nirvana, that would have paid off rather handsomely. But there are a a thousand other Seattle grunge bands for whom you would much rather have had $400 than, you know, 0.01% of their future earnings. It just so happens that, you know, Nirvana did okay. So I agree with you. We'll get to the relief requested. But uh, after filing a second amended complaint, what... Uh, Spencer is left with are two statutory claims, okay? The first one is a claim for relief under 18 U.S.C. section 2255A, and that is uh, makes it a federal crime for any person to knowingly possess material that contains image of child pornography that has been mailed, shipped, or transported right in, via interstate commerce right so count 1 is a child pornography count and count 2 18 USC 1595 uh which makes it illegal to engage in sex trafficking those are the only claims that remain in this lawsuit right so initially there was an allegation for negligence there was a private distribution of sexually explicit materials intrusion into private affairs and uh, invasion of privacy in violation of the California Constitution. After they amended their lawsuit, all of those counts were dropped. So the only thing that's left are the two federal claims, one which relates to child pornography Hmm. and the other which relates to sex trafficking. Sex trafficking. (laughs) If we're going to get to it. The damages that Spencer wants are liquidated damages of $150,000 from each plaintiff, punitive damages to punish and deter 
future conduct like this. Attorney's fees, pre-post-judgment interest, I should say preliminary and permanent injunctive relief to prevent defendants from, I guess, continuing to distribute the Nevermind album. Yeah. Not sure that that's happening a lot. But my favorite, paragraph 176, restitution and disgorgement of all profits and unjust enrichment obtained as a result of defendants' unlawful conduct. And the allegations of the complaint make this clear, put this together. The idea is Nirvana was a band no one had ever heard of before the Nevermind album. And then that baby made that band. The baby (laughs) made the band. (laughs) Photographing the baby was child pornography. Therefore, all that ill-gotten child porn money should be disgorged and given to Spencer. The motion to dismiss is not kind to this complaint. It begins with, and again, you know, we've talked about like where to draw the line on sarcasm. Mm, Yeah. And it's a tough one. Mm -hmm. Um, But in this case, I think they probably do get on the the right side of it, which is it is difficult to take these allegations seriously. If true, it would mean that 30 million people in the United States are also guilty of possession of child pornography, right? Not me. I don't own a copy of the Nevermind album. Uh, You'll be the one person not in prison. It'll be like those those disaster movies where there's the, everybody's gone. Nobody on the streets, just Andrew walking around. I was the one, and everybody born after a certain year, I suppose. It'd be, it'd be you and a bunch of Gen Zers, I guess, or whatever. Ah, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have so much fun. I, You'll I'm have the, so uh, many people to explain technology to you. <laughs> That'll be great. Well, <laughs> at least at least I will always have tech support for my iPhone. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll be you know the uh, the Ernest Borgnine of this disaster movie. Actually, I'll be right there with you. I don't know that I ever bought this album. I was a little young. I mean, I've listened to it on Spotify. Does that count? Do we? Are we all? If you include Spotify streams, there's going to be even fewer people out on the streets with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I want to include that as part of the relief now, just so that <laughs> I'm enjoying this, you know, patient zero yeah. world. So yeah, it begins with Elvin's claim that the photograph on the Nevermind album cover is child pornography is on its face not serious. A brief examination of the photograph or Eldon's own conduct, not to mention the photograph's presence in the homes of millions of Americans who on Eldon's theory are guilty of felony possession of child pornography makes that clear. And then there's a citation to a third circuit case. This is a a very common case in child porn and first amendment cases that says no one seriously could think that a Renoir painting of a nude woman or an innocuous family snapshot of a naked child in the bathtub of which I've posted. I, I, I think you've posted, I, you know, well, on, we had this Facebook. conversation last time. Yeah. Yeah. Violates the child pornography laws. Nudity must be coupled with other circumstances that make the video, the visual description lascivious or sexually provocative in order to fall within the parameters of the child pornography statute. And that is true. It is not defined strictly as nudity is defined as coupling nudity with a prurient, that is a a sexual interest. That led to some weird allegations in this complaint. Mm, About the, yeah, the dollar, it's a prostitution thing, that stuff. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So for example, paragraph 68 says, Nirvana decided to use a dollar bill on a fish hook as a prop after an extensive debate between the use of a dollar bill, raw meat, a dog, or other objects commonly associated with prurient interests. What? Um, yeah, I don't mean to be a, a, a special little snowflake here. No. Uh, and I'm not going to, you know, uh, but raw meat and a dog. 
I doesn't, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me. There's our meat tie-in, by the way. Maybe the whole episode is called so, Meat. <laughs> meat. <laughs> this is a motion to dismiss based on the statute of limitations. And I'm going to talk about the merits of that in a second. But like any good lawyers, and I'm not surprised that, you know, Geffen Records hired uh, good lawyers to, to write a quality motion to dismiss. When the facts are really, really on your side, you find a way to work those in, even when they're not strictly relevant. So, mm. for example, in talking about the statute of limitations, which begins from begins to run from the moment you know or should have known that the allegedly wrongful conduct occurred. It talks about how Spencer Eldon knew that he was the Nirvana baby from a very, very young age, right? Eldon's father and Eldon himself publicly celebrated Eldon's identity as the baby on the album cover in a series of articles published beginning no later than 1992. Album came out in 91, right? For example, in 92, Eldon's father sat for an interview with Entertainment Weekly in which he confirmed that his son was the Nirvana baby. In 2003, Eldon, then 12 years old, gave his own interview in which he commented, every five years ago, somebody's going to call me up and ask me about Nevermind, and I'm probably going to get some money from it. In 2008, Eldon, then 17 years old, joked on MTV about using Nevermind-inspired pickup lines on girls, such as, hey, you want to see my penis again? I wonder I if he had success with that one. <laughs> what is it? You, uh, I don't really you imagine don't calls, a, don't uh, sales? a potential date being like, Ooh, it, again. Oh, interesting. Tell me why I would be seeing your penis again. Are you somebody whose penis I've seen? That doesn't doesn't work, man. That's not a good. Okay. <laughs> In 2011, a 20-year-old Eldon shared in another interview, being the Nirvana baby was always a thing I grew up with and has helped get my foot in the door for a couple of situations, which is always handy. When asked, have you ever thought about how many people have seen you naked? Eldon responded, yeah, I've thought about that. It's like being a secret porn star, but not really. But it's not even porn. It's more like a Farrah Fawcett poster. It's also not like a Farrah Fawcett poster. No, not. No, that's real <laughs> weird. It, sh yeah. it should definitely not be um, thought of that way. I might have one of the most famous penises in the music industry, but no one would ever know that to look at me. Uh, in 2016, a 25-year-old oh, Eldon told the New York Post that he voluntarily recreated the same photograph, uh, including his proposal to do it naked. Uh, so my point on reciting that, in addition to... The lawyers knew that this would be something that people would find interesting. And indeed, we found it interesting. Good illustration on how when you have facts that are that strong on your side, you look for a way to incorporate those facts, even where, as here, they're not directly relevant to a motion to dismiss because the statute of limitations has run. And the statute of limitations has plainly run on, on both of these counts. But- that's not why the motion to dismiss was granted. <laughs> the motion to dismiss was granted because Spencer's lawyers failed to answer in time. Huh. It was filed on December 22nd, and on January 3rd, the court issued an, an order that says, you didn't file in time, so, uh, so we're dismissing out the case. And as soon as I saw that, the news articles that actually got into the merits of why this case was dismissed, interviewed his lawyer and said, yeah, we, we, you know, we screwed up on the timing. There's actually a good reason why they screwed up on the timing. And that is typically you have 14 days to respond to a motion. So 22 plus 14 is 36. You would think that you would have had at least until January 5th to file your opposition. So why did the court throw this out on January 3rd? This is a really important illustration of 
why you get local counsel. <laughs> um, their lawyer, uh, his office is in New York. He's admitted in California, right? So nothing improper here. But the, the local rules of this particular court, the U.S. District Court for the Central District of California, it's local rule 7-9, says each opposing party shall not later than 10 days after the service of the motion in the instance of a new trial motion. Okay, that's not this. And not later than 21 days before the date designated for the hearing of the motion in all other instances shall serve upon all the parties and file with the clerk their opposition. So although this was filed on December 22nd, it was set for oral argument on January 20th. And under that local rules, instead of adding to mm. the date that it was filed, you have to subtract, subtract. backwards from the oral argument. That okay. gives you December 30th to file your opposition. And December 30th came and went. And the judge was like, oh, well, you didn't file an opposition. So I'm going to default you. So the order dis grants the motion to, to dismiss. However, it is dismissed with leave to amend. Can you plead oopsie-daisies? Yeah, you can basically plead oopsie-daisies. If plaintiff still wishes to pursue this action, he is granted until January 13th, 2022. That's File a motion of oopsie-daisies, I think, a, is more accurate. A week from Thursday, a week from when we're recording this. To file a second amended complaint attempting <laughs> to cure, to the extent he believes warranted by existing law, the alleged defects outlined in defendant's motion. And then it says, you got to label it a second amended complaint, blah, 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 blah. Your failure to timely file shall result in this action being dismissed. Hmm. So you only get one oopsie daisies. You only get one Fair. oopsie daisies. And it says you should take seriously the issues regarding statute of limitations. Specifically, it says... Hmm. Um, in preparing the second amended complaint, plaintiff shall carefully evaluate the contentions <laughs> set forth in defendant's motion. That's interesting. defendant's assertions that the, that the plaintiff's claims pursuant to 2255 and 18 U.S.C. 1595 are time barred. The court expects that defendants will agree to any amendments that will cure the alleged defects. Yeah, that's a judge that telling you. That is interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. like you, you go to turn in your assignment late to your teacher and they're like, all right, I will accept it. And then they glance at it and they're like, eh, you're going to want it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll accept this late, but I'm already seeing this and it's not looking good. Right. That is, that is exactly what that means, right? So that's why I spent a little bit of time on the merits. The child porn carries a 10-year statute of limitations and the child trafficking uh, has since been amended, but at the time carried a yeah, four-year statute of limitations. That's kind of a short statute of limitations on child porn, right? It, it, it is. And it's why if this goes forward, we will do a show on it because I, I will tell you that the interesting argument that I would push back on that their brief makes is, look, it was the photographing and being on the cover and being the sensation and all of that occurred in 1991. And you're going to say, and the pleading really says this, it says, you know, you're going to say that they, that continues every time they ship an album cover, but like the real harm was done to you back in 1991. And I think it's really tempting to take that position with, with Spencer here because this isn't child porn. Mm -hmm. But when I insert actual yeah, child yeah. porn and an actual victim in that circumstance, right? A pedophile oh, you takes totally a picture be on their of you. side. Yeah. Yeah. As as an infant and then distributes it every time that picture gets distributed mm -hmm. is a new harm. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And if the court 100%. came and said like nothing we can do because the original harm was in 1991, yeah, no, we totally we'd be up and be on this. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. It's just not child porn is the thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is the way in which you present your arguments when you're moving to dismiss mm-hmm. as opposed to if you've got to move for summary judgment, right? You you do right. not want it to be a factual question of, come on, there's no prurient interest here, right? Because Spencer is going to say, I will prove that it's prurient interest, right? Right, and, right. And the court will be like, all right, there's a factual dispute on whether, a, you know, baby mm-hmm. in a swimming pool that's in 30 million homes. What you want to say is, even if it is, this is time barred, get out. And again, you know, you also see this is a judge who they've amended once, then they missed a deadline. And the judge says, look, here's how I'm going to bend over backwards to get you back into court, right? Which illustrates kind of another OA argument, which is courts are very, very loath to take a technical rule and deny you access unless it's exceedingly clear and there are good public policy reasons you know, for proceeding on that technicality. So that's why, in addition to making a whole bunch of Nirvana jokes, I thought it was worth clarifying the continued misreporting over this. So, you know, yes, it was dismissed, but it was dismissed for a pretty understandable, I mean, you know, you shouldn't do it, but a pretty understandable misreading of the time deadlines. Their response was due in eight days over Christmas, and they didn't get it filed in those eight days. They're going to get a chance to file another complaint. The judge is pretty skeptical of that complaint, and we'll see what happens. So there you go. There will still be Nirvana on opening arguments. Boy, you know who's waiting with bated breath on this is what's that product with the where the dogs like tugging the baby's swimming suit? It's like a baby butt. What is that? Oh yeah, wasn't that? Oh gosh, yeah. It was a it was a a, a suntan oil. Yeah, right? that's like, what I thought. Yeah, copper they're, they're, copper copper tone. tone. There yeah, co- the t- copper tone folks are just r- really, st- <laughs> if they still exist, <laughs> really stressing yeah. out over this oh, one. Yeah, the, yeah you, do you think the industry of this will help you sunburn more still exists? Like, uh, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, I didn't remember what the copper tone. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's no, it like, was it was it's like buttering sun, you to be to it was be a, it was yeah. a butter, right? It was like suntan oil. <laughs> it's like when Newman goes after Kramer when he's got the butter on him. <laughs> yeah. And- you smell like the chicken. Opening arguments is brought to you by Blinkist. Hey, in twenty twenty two, which I'm told is the current year, maybe one of your goals is to read more or to be better, more knowledgeable, smarter, more informed. If so, listening to this podcast is a great start, but I got another one for you. Blinkist. I read a lot, actually. I I listen to a lot of books, but there's always more books is the thing. This is mathematically provable. The number of books that you have time for is always going to be less than the number of books that are worth reading. That's That's just a fact. There are a lot of books in the world. And so one great way to squeeze in a few more and maybe many more is Blinkist. Blinkist is a great way to take a book that you want to get the key insights from and deliver those insights in a short dose that'll be basically as if you read the book, but without all the time. So again, this is a way to get more done. There's so many titles. Politics ones include What Happened, Fire and Fury, A Promised Land, Fear. I've blinked Fire and Fury, for example, because... I didn't need to read another Trump book, but I got the key insights from that. I got, for example, the the details about how much Trump's inner circle of advisors were at constant odds with one another, 
the battling going on there, the fact that Trump wasn't at all prepared to win the presidency, stuff like that. I, you know, I didn't need to read the whole book. I used Blinkist. And I suggest you do as well. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash opening to start your seven-day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash opening to get 25% off and a seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash opening. And thank you! And now it's time to thank our Hall of Famers, our all-time greats. We're, we're on to a fresh slate. We're on to, you know, January. We're on the uh, quartile method. So that means four, I'm told. <laughs> and I think we might have new additions here because the billing is monthly. So we'll see. I'll go first thanking our top patrons, our Hall of Famers, the first fourth of them. Thanks to the coin didn't get a chance to see if it agreed with removing the coin. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's fantastic. Good. I'm glad you're welcome aboard. If that's a new uh, Hall of Famer, what a way to enter into the uh, the Hall of Fame there. A California legal apprentice who actually passed the first year law students exam. Congrats. Ooh. Purple couch without an e. Purplecouch.com. Are you supporting a friend through a divorce or going through a divorce? Listen to assembled experts at Purplecouch.com. Interesting. Loaf of orange. <laughs> okay. Loaf of orange. Indiana and Marion are the cutest corgis of this quintile. <laughs> oh, my corgi's pretty cute. I wonder how many corgis are in our Hall of Fame. Lots, I think. Corgi owners, you know, are in the Hall of Fame. Tolkien geek. Ooh, awesome. I, too, am something of a scientist myself on Tolkien. Mark Tanner. Trans Vin Diesel stars in XXY. <laughs> Interesting. I am a potted plant and a better lawyer than Donald Campbell. OA live show Mardi Gras 2022 in New Orleans. Ooh, that's interesting. That would depend a lot on the state of the world, I think, but that's yeah. <laughs> not, not impossible. Star Trek is better than Star Wars. Vortexes, plural, is riveting story, is a riveting story like Andrew and Thomas, but more of a butt clencher in suspense. <laughs> I forgot to change my Patreon name after it got read the first time, and I'm still deciding on a new one. Eh, well, better luck next month, I guess. A streetcar named D's Nuts. <laughs> LT, your monthly belly laugh there. LT, salty Seattle driver on YouTube. Please, can I be your private chauffeur for the Seattle live show? Nobody knows how to drive there. Oh, I love that. That's We're going to be fully outfitted, you know, with every kind of uh, helper of any kind in, <laughs> in Seattle when, when we finally can do a live show. And I'm here for it. That That's oh, so yeah. fun. Absolutely. Around and around the ru the rough and rugged rocks, the ragged rascal ran. Some say Legal Eagle is a discount John Krasinski. I say John Krasinski is a discount Legal Eagle, and I agree with that. <laughs> I hope I Legal too. Eagle is listening because I think John Krasinski is wildly overrated, and I think Legal Eagle is underrated, if anything. There you go. Matt Dunlop. I won't post it in Cyrillic to spare Andrew and Thomas from trying to pronounce it, but Happy New Year from Kazakhstan. Oh, cool. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for sparing us and Happy New Year as well. Wood duck, wood duck, a wooden duck, but wood, wood duck, duck, a duck, duck, ducked by duck, duck, goose <laughs> at Atomic Penguin 7 on Twitter. <laughs> and thank you to Joseph Vigiano. Your turn, Andrew. Yeah. Thank you to Dr. Scoop Little, Doug and Heather, Mr. and Mrs. Pusher, comedian Aaron Trahan at Comedian AET, come to Madhouse Comedy Club in San Diego. 
Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Angels Camp live show this May at the Jumping Frog Jubilee. <laughs> that is so... That's my hometown, and that's the Jumping Frog Jubilee. That yeah, I'll tell you, that's not opening arguments country. That's uh, that's no? that's no. big lie territory. That's Trump. Yeah, I mean any rural town anywhere, but uh, yeah, no, that's Trump country. We're we're not likely to do a live show in the middle of Trump country. What's the upside? <laughs> I'm not a lesbian, but I am fabulous. We we yeah, sure. Handwoven Night Safe Reflective Scarves by KellyWovet.com. Yeah, check out KellyWovet.com. I've gone over there. For a fun fantasy story, read The King's Own by W. Marshall, now on Amazon. That Thing in the Attic. Liberals own guns, too. Support root cause mitigation, not ineffective gun control. The Fat Jedi Eating Cake and Drinking Emperor's Brewery Beer in the Death Star Canteen. Sean McGovern, Zach Bloom, support Decarcerate, working to end mass incarceration in Arkansas. That is Decarcerate, A-R-D-E-C-A-R-C-E-R-A-T-E-A-R dot O-R-G. I took legal advice from a podcast and all I got was this lousy mea culpa. Tell Morgan <laughs> Katam's son, we did. Ray, Pizza School the Corgi, says Happy New Year. His parents got engaged and bought him a house for Christmas. Wow, holy wow, moly. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot that's of a stuff. That's Corgi, yeah. Legal Eagle is so handsome, so that's two Legal Eagle shout-outs. At least one of them is not Legal yeah, Eagle. Yeah, it's almost a Legal Eagle fan show yeah. pretty soon. <laughs> California employment, work, accident, or litigation questions, call or text attorney David Nipka. That's 310-776-5879. Again, 310-776-5879. The Smiths. Do take DNS advice from our live streams. <laughs> All right. And that's the end of the first quartile, the best quartile, right? This, this definitely quartile. preeminent quartile. Sometimes you eat the bar, and sometimes the bar will eat you. And now it's time for T3BE Thomas Hicks Bar Exam answer time. Weird one. No idea what to expect here. How we how yeah. do they do? So weird one. Man gets divorced, gives up the marital home in the divorce, rents an apartment nearby. Wife also keeps the dog. The man sincerely believes that the dog belongs to him. He paid for the dog. It was his before they were married. And so he, but the, the ex-wife refuses to give the dog back. Uh, man goes over one night. He was looking at pictures of his dog. It's so, it's so sad. Like this mm-hmm. is, is the most emotionally yeah. manipulative bar question ever. Goes over to the house, knocks on the door. Nobody answers. He hears the dog barking inside. She gives him probable pause. <laughs> probable pause. Gives him probable pause. Oh, that's so great. Uh, then he opens the door and uh, the wife's left the door unlocked, right? And the dog greets him, uh, but then thinks better of the whole thing. And decides to leave without taking the dog. Can he be, ch- he's charged with burglary. Mm-hmm. What's his best argument that he did not commit burglary? Oh, you got the dog in the back. This is, uh, yeah, cool. You're really going for all the sound effects. That wasn't yeah, me. That, that was. <laughs> yeah, that's art- artificially added a dog for real. Did I need to add purposes. the foley of like the footsteps? Dunk, 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 yeah. and the door open. <laughs> thunk, you know? thunk, 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 yeah. Um, so uh, we're going to cut to the chase. You eliminated A, did not have the requisite intent to commit burglary. B, was not armed with a dangerous weapon. In going for C, he did not break into the dwelling. Sadly, I got to tell you, you got it wrong. A, he did not have the requisite intent to commit burglary. You were really, really close in breaking down. You correctly distinguished between burglary, which is breaking and entering, mm. right, and larceny, which is carrying away someone else's property. 
Mm-hmm. So not larceny because he doesn't take anything. Yeah. Then the question is, is it a breaking and entering? Does opening an unlocked door to a place that you're not allowed to go, does that constitute the breaking part uh, of burglary? Uh, you picked C, he did not break into the dwelling, but it turns out even if the door is unlocked, oh, you opening just it. Just opening the door and not just taking anything opening it, is burglary? Yep. Is burglary if you have the requisite Ooh, intent to wow. commit a crime, and usually that is larceny when you get inside. So this this poses a super interesting wow, a weird question. question. It, it's a super interesting question to me because the answers say, you get to A by process of elimination, right? Yeah, you sort of go through, yeah. you're like, all right, it doesn't matter whether you're armed with a dangerous weapon. That's not what okay, breaking got in the is about. One good thing I did. He did not question. break into the dwelling. Nope. Opening the door counts okay, as breaking. That's that's where it got me. Abandoning the crime, that's not a thing, right? You can yeah. abandon a conspiracy, right? I knew that. I By the time I got done with that, I was like, oh, I should have gone A and C, but it, by the way, but whatever, I didn't. I yep, messed up. That, well, that's okay. So you, you get to A by process of elimination, but I will tell you the answer key says something that I would want to put to the test. And so I'm going to flag this for you know our lawyer listeners and let's have a discussion. It says... Actual definition, right? Burglary is breaking and entering the dwelling of another at night with the intent to commit a felony or larceny therein. So I come over planning to steal stuff. I break in. I change my mind. I don't steal stuff. That's still burglary. You do break because opening an unlocked door. Yeah, that's the key, really. Yep. That's that's what it's testing. Yeah. But it says, note, this is not larceny as larceny is the trespassery taking and carrying away of the Mm. personal property of another with the intent to permanently deprive him thereof. And so it then says, because he believed the dog belonged to him, right? Mm. It would not have been larceny, even if he had taken the dog. But then why would it have been burglary? Because that's just the breaking into something? That's what I don't, Mm. right? That's that's where I would sort of put, put this to the test. If it's not larceny, to cart away the dog, (laughs) then how can it be burglary? Because his intent was to break in and take the dog. Since I can't ask it of the textbook, uh, I will ask it of our listeners. Now, it seems weird that this would not, you know, that you would have a situation where if I honestly believe that something of mine is in your house, uh, that I can come over and- convicted of burglary? Right, that seems weird that to me. That's why I did, yeah, that was my whole yeah. reasoning of why that couldn't I, be right. It, it's very, very good reasoning, and I agree with you, so I, I want to throw this out as a, like a, a continuing discussion question. Look, I think every listener, I, I am convinced they all have something I own. I can break into any one of your houses and not be convicted of a crime. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> well, now, you would still be guilty yeah. of trespass, that's exactly right. Yeah, but you right. can't get me for burglary, damn it. I, there's something that seems, seems off about that. So I am inviting, in addition to, you know, if you played along with T3B last or not, write in or tweet at us or whatever with respect to uh, how you resolve this sort of burglary versus larceny thing. If you're a patron, you will see the full explanation from the textbook. Uh, that's a that's a patron oh, perk we're available. So, I didn't even know about that. What a great yeah, perk. Post, post with Patreon.com slash law. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm interested because I think... There may be something that isn't explicitly said here that I'm missing because, hmm. you know, I don't practice criminal law. Because, yeah, otherwise, this seems like pretty great break into people's houses free, um, <laughs> you know, kind of uh, 
kind of a loophole. And, Don't take uh, and, breaking and that, into people's houses. Yeah, right. From podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think it's wrong. So, but either way, our advice would be do not break into people's houses, even if you think they've got your dog. Wow. So there you go. Sad that you got it wrong. Proud of you for getting both Aww. burglary, the dis- the distinction Thank between you. burglary and larceny correct. And it just is testing that. Uh, yeah, that yeah, it counts I, as a breaking, I, even if you don't break. I'm anything. upset that I I meant to, I should have gone with A and C. I almost uh, changed my mind there at the end because I was like, well, D is definitely wrong. But that's that's my main regret. I should You're have saying t- the coin is to being deprived of a potential. Well, that yeah, that and like just my second chance bar exam should have been intact there. Uh, that's definitely a, a mistake on my part. But you know, that's a tough. If I had I but known that uh, just opening a door, I could have reasoned my way to that. Just opening a door is apparently breaking in. Opening an unlocked door, not going in. I guess it just seems a little hard. Like what if you just accidentally walk up to the wrong house or something and you're just like, you know, on autopilot and you open the door and then the minute you see it, you're like, oh, that's not my house. I know obviously, you know, there'd be a lot of discretion involved, but technically you've committed burglary. That doesn't seem right, right? No. In the sense of that would be you would lack any kind of intent whatsoever. Yeah. But but I just wonder like how much the no, I definitely thought that was my stuff. Yeah. You know, is a get out of jail free card. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Uh, All right. So yeah, we'll find out. Well, there you go. It's always fun. I, I always learn a lot with a T3B in, in any case. So uh really fun. Let's find out if somebody outsmarted both me and the test here. Who's our big winner this week? Yeah, which leader of another atheist organization is going <laughs> to get <laughs> We'll see. Well, Thomas, this week's winner, and and I love this, is uh, Escape from Custody on Twitter, who says, trying T3BE from a UK perspective, as I don't have knowledge of USA law, and hoping it works anyway. I'm going with A, no requisite intent. Although trespass into her house, he believed it was his dog and therefore had no intention to steal at a time of entering, so burglary is incomplete. Well, remember, England and the United States share a common law heritage these are the common law rules of burglary and uh, you've gotten it exactly right escape from custody i love it and uh, congratulations on being this week's winner everyone let's give them a follow that is at escape custody e-s-c-a-p-e-c-u-s-t-o-d-y on twitter and congratulations on being this week's winner all right thanks so much for listening everybody great time as always love the show and we'll see you for rapid response friday and q a no, that there. Oh, no. Yeah. Sorry. And not a Q&A for at least a month. <laughs> I move for a bad court thingy. You mean a mistrial? Yeah. That's why you're the judge and I'm the law talking guy. This has been Opening Arguments with Andrew and Thomas. If you love the show and want to support future episodes, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com law. If you can't support us financially, it would be a big help if you leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast delivery vehicle you use. And be sure to tell all your friends about us. For questions, suggestions, and complaints, email us at openarguments at gmail.com. The show notes and links are on our website at www.openargs.com. Be sure to join the Facebook group at facebook.com groups slash Mountain and follow us on Twitter at openargs. This podcast is a production of Opening Arguments Media, LLC, all rights reserved. It is produced with the assistance of transcriptionist Heather Loveridge, production assistant Ashley Smith, and additional contributions from Morgan Stringer and Deborah Smith. Special thanks to Teresa Gomez, who runs our live shows and heads up the OA Wiki. Follow at OA Wiki on Twitter. Additional thanks to the moderators of the Opening Arguments Facebook community, Emily Waters, Alicia Cook, Eric Brewer, Natalie Newell, Brian Ziegenhagen, and Teresa. And finally, thanks to Thomas Smith, who edits the show and created the fabulous theme music, which was used with permission.